What a fitting song to sing as we prepare to hear an update from our team that has gone to Lebanon. Um, that We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. Because that's why we partner with this group that we've sent to Lebanon, right, for this, this 10-day trip, is because there is no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. So we're going to have, uh, in a minute, someone come up and pray for the team, but um, I just want to give you an update as we, as we want to think about and pray for this team and come alongside them, even from here at home, to, to be with them in our prayers as they are over there declaring Jesus as Lord of all, that there is no other king um, in a culture, in a place that is so dominated by Islam, that Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And just uh, to help us pray, we, we last week gave out some prayer sheets, um, day by day, kind of how to focus and pray for the team. And then we gave out some little dots that you can put on your phone, your mirror somewhere, just to remind you to pray for them when you see it. So I have mine on my phone, and thankfully this whole week, I just kept seeing it and thinking, like, they're not gone yet, but they still need to be praying for the preparation, so I've been praying from this whole week. There's some more back there. Um, see James Tobin and the prayer sheet so that you guys can join in. If you missed that last week, we would love to have you join with us in praying for this team. Um, Nick went with four of the ladies from the church, and they met up with one of the uh, ladies' sons, and so they're there now in Lebanon. They have, Nick has even um, got in touch with us, texted me this morning. He's talked with Stephanie a little bit. Um, and they're all doing well. They all made it. Um, I wasn't quite sure because I got a text from Nick on Saturday morning saying that, hey, we all made it, but Donna got detained and was being questioned and kind of left it there awkwardly. So I immediately texted back. I was like, she's out, right? She got through and, and she did. So they have Donna with them safely. So everyone, everyone's good and safe. Um, that was good. I was happy to hear that. Um, and it's been encouraging just this morning as Nick kind of told us how to pray for him and the team and what's going on. They are made it. They're at the hotel now, and they're preparing for the the week ahead as they're going to teach Syrian refugees coming into Lebanon. Um, He has been able to praise God, meet people. That was really encouraging. Some missionaries, some guys that are going across the border into Syria, which, I mean, if you're following the news, that's not exactly a safe place to be. I don't think you can really even the border at this point because I'm not sure there is a border or what's going on. But he's going over there like daily to share the gospel. And so Nick was so encouraged to hear this news and to hear about this guy and what he's doing to spread the gospel to those who, who do not know Christ. Um, he's had a, he was saying, I think Stephanie actually was telling, saying that there was an old church and they had a coffee shop in the back. And every Saturday night they have, you know, people coming in, they do, they're doing coffee, but then they share the gospel there publicly um, so people might hear. So these good news in this dark land, this place that is so spiritually dark that there is light happening. So we want to just pray for them, though, because as they transition from getting there, getting their feet wet, getting prepared, we know that God has been with them. We can see that the prayers have been answered so far, but we know that the enemy can't be happy with what they're going to do there. So they're preparing for Syrian refugees to come in and that they can share the gospel using the parables of Jesus to do so. So Ben, if you would come up. Ben Wood is going to pray for the team. Um, I've instructed him, gave him some ideas of how Nick said to pray for him. I was really encouraged um, because the prayer requests were incredibly gospel-centered. God has been taking care of them. Right now, they just want to focus on being able to share the gospel. So, You sure?
So children ages kindergarten through fifth grade can peacefully and calmly line up over there with Robert. And uh, if you haven't signed your children up yet and you would like them to go to Children's Church downstairs, see Robert really quickly. And he will take them down there and they will have a gospel-centered message and um, just hear the word taught to them. So that actually worked. They were really calm today. So I must be doing something right. And before we begin, I have one other announcement, one thing to talk with you guys about. Um, it's been kind of a crazy week, but um, so we've had a lot to pray for and talk about today, but there was one other thing that I just wanted to let you guys know. Many of you might have already seen it and heard. Um, our dear sister, a member of the church for a long time, Connie Cooper, passed away Saturday morning. Um, so if you know her, her son Tim and his wife Bertha are still around and would love to see you guys and just be encouraged and co- bring comfort. Um, They're staying at her house for right now. Um, Thankfully, I was able to visit her on Friday with Chris Gorman. He and I went up there and we prayed with her and Chris shared some scripture with her and um, she wasn't conscious at that point. Um, But it was an encouragement to his daughter, her daughter-in-law that was there then. And uh, I know Nick's been up there a couple times to visit visit her in the past week before he left. we're working and talked about possible memorial service and everything. Um, but it was good because as someone who's just coming into the church and Connie having been here for, I, th- I don't know how long, longer. I couldn't figure out how long, actually, because I asked everybody. I think even Rich wasn't even sure how long, and he's been here a long time. So she's been a member of this church for um, probably essentially since it began, it sounds like. And yeah, since the very beginning, the very very beginning, and uh, she went to be with the Lord, and it was encouraging to hear her testimony um, as her son and daughter-in-law described her and the ministry she had, um, having just cared for them and loved them, and then having run a daycare, and just the the effect and the impact it had on the children that she took care of day in and day out. Um, She's gone to be with the Lord, so we are going to take a moment. We're going to pray for the family. Um, The last few years, I think, was really tough on the family, a lot of stress and strain, um, especially between the, the children. Um, but I would definitely encourage you, they said that they would love visitors um, from the church. She um, always, when she couldn't make in the last few years, was um, saddened, and, and they saw that love that she had for this body. And it was just a powerful testimony to what God had done in her life. And just reassuring that now she is no longer feeling pain, the agony or trials of this life, but is with our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's pray really quickly. Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much for the testimony that even as I, who have come in here so recently and and had not even had a chance to really meet Connie, Lord, we thank you that, that her life declares your glory. Her life declares that she has been changed and transformed and, and we hear the stories of such a wonderful woman who loved you and loved people, loved her family and loved children, um, cared and took care of the kitchen here and just was a, a strong woman who wanted to serve and love others and care for others. We thank you, Lord, for this church that's been a part of her life. We, we pray that we would be able to come alongside her, her children now and, and encourage them and comfort them in the loss of their mother. We pray that you would be with them We pray that they would see her life and it would be a testimony. It would testify to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. That it would testify to the gospel that is believed and changes and transforms. We pray that you would be with them now, that we would be able to come along and help them and that they would be encouraged by our love and care for her and her family during this time. We just thank you so much, Lord, that you blessed us with Connie, and that you worked and shaped and formed her into to somebody who was a gift to this church and this body and to her family and loved ones. Lord, we thank you that she has gone to be with you, that the pain and the hardships and the trials that plagued her in the last years of her life, the, the difficulties in, in just living and, and um, the loss of her mental capacity at some level and everything that was going on, 
that you have taken that away and that she can be with you and there can be no more tears, no more pain, no more heartache, but only fellowship with you. So Lord, we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, Connie's Savior and ours. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today, and um, yeah. Well, as you know, or as you, I hopefully know, we are beginning a series in First John. Um, so, if you have noticed out in the front, and we handed them out in the bulletins, there are little sermon cards that are going to outline the sermons for the next, well, through the summer up into September, I believe, is where we're going to. Um, I would encourage if you don't have one, grab one. If you have one, grab another one in case you lose that one or it slides out of your Bible. Um, Take those. And I want to just take a moment as we prepare to begin our series. The series is going to be titled Life in Christ as we begin this series in 1 John. And the sermon card can help you in multiple ways. One is just to be reading through First John in your quiet times. You can read through it. It's a short book. You can read through it many times. You can read through the passage as we go each week, or you can just keep reading through it. And then as you hear the word preached, your heart will be, you know, tilled and ready to hear it better, and, and you can just grow more and get more out of the sermons, hopefully, through doing that. Um, it's, a, it's a great practice that I've seen along the way of just reading and preparing your hearts for what is coming on Sunday. And then also there is, just on a practical note, we're going to have a couple of potlucks and things throughout the summer just to spend time together and to fellowship. And so those are also listed on that calendar. So, um. so if you guys would stand as we prepare to read God's word, we're going to be doing 1 John 1 today. We stand here to honor God's word um, It's a practice that we've developed and just a way for us to show honor to God as we read his word and as he is present in his word. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You may be seated. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that John has given, given your people. Lord, we thank you that you have given it to us. We pray that your word would work in our hearts today powerfully and wonderfully, that you'd be forming us and shaping us, that you'd assure us that if we have put our faith in Christ, that if we have joined in the fellowship of your your people and have have loved you and your people, that we can know that we know the truth and that Christ has saved us from our sins. We pray, Lord, as there are probably many here who have had hard weeks, difficult times, and months, and their faith might have been shaken. We pray that your flock would be assured that they would rest in you and that you'd use this word to, to reassure them, to, to comfort them, and to give them confidence in Christ and his work, and that those of us around them might be able to use this word as your spirit works to, to comfort others as well. 
we pray today that it would cause us to have fellowship with each other and with you. In your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we just pray in his name. Amen. Well, for some reason, one story I remember that my dad would often tell, uh, my dad was a really quiet man, but there was one story I remember coming from him fairly often, and I'm not sure why we would want to hear it, um, outside the fact that it was about one of my friend's fathers, and, and maybe I just enjoyed laughing at him, even though it was a kind of a perilous situation at the time. It was about a hunting trip he had. If, if you know me, if you've got to know me yet, you know that I grew up in Alaska, um, when I was a young child, my dad would go and do hunting trips, and, and one island where he would go hunt was a Fognac Island. Um, if you know anything, you, you probably have no clue where a Fognac is or anything about it, but um, it's a small island off the coast of Alaska in the Gulf of Alaska, and, and it's packed with deer. So it's one of the places to go deer hunting, and it's also a wet, densely forested island. Well, he was hunting there with his friend, who was also a co-worker, Sam, um, the friend of my, or the father of my friend. And as they were hunting for deer, Sam decided to put his backpack down and just go for a stroll. I'm not sure what he was thinking. I can't remember. I can't, don't know. But he, I think, thought he would just wander around a little bit, stretch his legs, and then be able to find his tree. Well, Sam got lost. Sam wandered around literally all night lost, not sure where he was. My dad, and I think there were some others with him, searched and couldn't find him. If you know about the, the island, it was probably cold and rainy, I would assume, and wet. They, they eventually found him in the morning. Um, I think my mom was refreshing my memory this morning, but it sounds like somebody got up to go to the restroom and they heard a rustling in the woods or something hurt him. He had wandered around looking for camp all night. And thankfully, obviously, he was found, he was safe. Now we can look back at the story and laugh and, and um, maybe give Sam a hard time like I've heard so many times. But this story is interesting. It, it, it's one about finding our way and losing our way, isn't it? And it's something that we can imagine here living in the Northwest, especially you know, where we live right here. Um, we oftentimes take a certain turn, park in a certain parking lot, Go out, to meet, go out to my sister and brother-in-laws, and, and you, are, you see Mount Rainier there, this massive mountain, this beautiful mountain, and you know there are hiking trails all around this area, wonderful, beautiful trails. And I haven't hiked around here yet. I look forward to, to being able to do that at some point this summer. But having hiked in Alaska and thought about things and been around mountains and, and areas like that, one problem with an island that's just densely forested and rainy is that there's really hard to find points of reference, isn't there? But even around here, if you find Mount Rainier and you say, okay, there it is, that's helpful, but that's not going to get you where you need to go, is it? Because if you are wrong about, let's say, I mean, maybe it'd be hard to do this, but if you're wrong on which side of the mountain or which side of the point you're on, you might be going the wrong way and not even know it. We really need multiple points of references to help us to find our way to be secure, don't we? Well, as we turn to 1 John and start this series, it's, it's written to a group of churches, probably. Um, we don't have, you know, if you pay attention, you know, a lot of times Paul will say to the church in this city, to this people, um, it's not addressed to anybody, but, but our best understanding is it's written to the group of churches probably around Ephesus and Asia Minor, um, where John had lived and knew these people and had ministered to them. And it's probably not written to just a single church, but to several of them. And we don't know exactly who it was written to, but we know something about why it was written, don't we? If we read this book, and as we will see as we go along, and, it's, and we read it throughout the summer and we hear it preached, these Christians are troubled, they're struggling with confidence, with assurance. You see, what we will learn is that false teachers have come through and gone out from them, as John describes it. 
they have left the church, they have left the body, and they have taught false things and wrong things, especially about Jesus Christ. They have taught things like he didn't actually come in the flesh. They have taught that he is not actually the Christ, the Messiah. And John says they went out from us because they were not of us. But you understand as John sees these churches in this area, these teachers have left, they've left people in their wake that are struggling. Could they be right? Could we be wrong? How do we know? How do we know we are in the truth? How do we know we are still in Christ? What if we've been deceived? Well, John is going to reassure these believers. He's going to tell them, He's going to comfort them and assure them, comfort them, yes, you are in Christ, and here's how you can know. If we go to the back of the book, he actually says what is probably the the thesis statement of the entire book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants them to know. He wants them to be sure of this. He doesn't want them to be troubled anymore. And he's going to do this by by reminding them of the gospel that he gave them, that he helped minister and share with them, that, that they are founded on, that they have based their faith on. And he's going to point them to the fellowship that they have with God and with each other as the basis of their assurance. And these themes are going to be seen throughout the book. As we go on, we're going to see these as, as we see him call the Christians to love one another and to know that they can know that they love God if they love their brother. As he reminds them of the atoning work of Jesus Christ and that Christ came and will come and accomplished what he set out to do to, to bring them salvation. So today as we study 1 John 1, we're going to look at two aspects of fellowship. We're going to start in verses 1 through 4 and see the foundation for fellowship. And then we're going to turn to verses 5 through 10 and see the framework of fellowship. We're going to see that life in Christ is life together. It is a life lived out from the foundation of the gospel. And as we found our lives on that gospel and as it plays out in our lives, what we see is that it causes us to walk a certain way, to live and to, to actually relate to people in particular ways. So the foundation for fellowship, the beginning. If you notice, and if you're familiar with your Bibles, 1 John 1 actually starts a lot like his gospel, doesn't it? If you remember for our John 1, his gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And a few verses later, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. So as we turn to 1 John 1, you see some of those themes being brought up, that which was from the beginning, the word of life. And we'll see he talks a lot about later on in verses 5 and on about light and darkness. John does this, I think, because he wants to remind them, as he did in the gospel, he showed that Christ had come in the flesh, The second person of the Trinity had become man. He took on human flesh. Do you understand that? That is where their assurance begins. It's that Christ has come. So as we read this passage, as we read this, especially these first few verses, we see that John is declaring to them, and he repeats certain phrases, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Then he goes on, he says it again, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. 
It's interesting, if you read the, the book of 1 John, and if you're paying close attention, one thing that maybe is easy to, to miss is that 1 John 1 is written, John writes in the first person plural. So he writes, we, 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 we. And as he moves on into chapter 2, he turns to, to predominantly, I think almost always use I, I. And it seems kind of strange unless we think about what's going on here, especially in these first four verses. John is talking about a testimony, a witness that he had. So especially as we look at the, the descriptions, he says, he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. John was talking here about something incredibly important. It was something that, it wasn't just something. It was a message, but that message was not just a message of words. It was a person. It was Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. John had been with Jesus. John and the other disciples, and that's where the we seems like it comes in, is he's talking about him and the other disciples and all the witnesses of Christ. And John talks about seeing and gazing upon. And it seems weird that John would repeat himself in a sense, but those are actually two different words. He has seen and he has gazed upon. And as we look at the word gazed upon, actually if we dig deep, what we would find is that it's usually used for an eyewitness testimony. It's not that I just might have seen something over there. It's that I actually beheld, I saw this, and I'm testifying now to it. John witnessed Jesus Christ. And this is important, right? Um, If you remember in the Gospel of Luke, it ends, Jesus dies, right? And he rises from from the grave, and he appears to his disciples, and as he comes to them, they, they're doubting, and we especially remember doubting Thomas particularly, but, but all of them are sort of like, had left, have run, have thought, Jesus is dead, what am I going to do? And then he comes to them, and Jesus tells them, does a spirit have flesh and bones as you see that I have? Jesus had a bodily resurrection. The disciples had actually experienced him. They'd seen it, witnessed and testified to it. They'd touched him. Remember, he even says, come, touch the nail holes, touch the the hole in my side. They had eaten with him. And they could testify to that fact. They were eyewitnesses. As we read Paul, Paul actually recounts that there's over 500 people who saw the risen Jesus Christ. John here wants us to focus and realize that the Word became flesh, that the second person of the Trinity became man. And that is what John proclaimed. He proclaimed that Jesus, the man who he knew and saw and lived with for three years, had died, even though he had never sinned. That he got up from the grave in new life, in resurrection life. And he passed this on. He told them, this is, this is where the foundation lies. It's the fact that we've seen this and we know this. We have seen Jesus Christ. We have proclaimed him to you. He is the word of life. And John is clear to tell us, he's describing Jesus in terms where we know that this isn't just a man who happened to be good enough to live perfect, but this is the Son of God. This is God who took flesh upon himself. Because you see, that's the importance of the Christian message, isn't it? It's that Jesus was God, fully God and fully man. Sometimes we miss that point. You know, the, the world is fine with a, a Jesus who is merely a good teacher, right? Or these, these false teachers would say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He was just a spiritual being. It's the spirit that we care about, not the flesh. John would have none of that. He saw Jesus. He saw the word of life. He saw the Son of God the second person of the Trinity, take on flesh. And that's so important because we have a problem 
in humanity. We have a problem that is something that we cannot solve because we caused it and we cannot get ourselves out. We have dug ourselves into a pit that is too tall for us to climb out of, haven't we? It would take God to do it. But the fact of the matter is we are the ones that are guilty. Men, humanity is guilty. So it took the God-man to come and to save us. Brothers and sisters, that is the foundation. That is, that is where our hope lies. That is where our faith rests, isn't it? He's telling these troubled and insecure believers that they can have assurance because they believe the truth that he passed down to them. That truth, actually, he says, if we read in verses 3 and 4, results in a community, doesn't it? It results in relationships. Because you believe this message, because you know that Jesus came in the flesh and lived that sinless, perfect life on your behalf, because you put your faith in him, you have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 3? John proclaimed this message, and because of that message, they too and we too may have fellowship with John and the other disciples but not just them, but with the Father, with His Son. Because in this message, we can know Christ. And if we have known Christ, He tells us we have known the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazing testimony, isn't it? It's an amazing truth. We can have fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But that fellowship doesn't just stop or start there. I think it's too easy to gloss over that. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And John concludes in verse 4. He says, and we are writing these things. John oftentimes in this letter will say, I am writing this to you. Here he says, we are writing this to you so that our joy may be complete. Brothers and sisters, Christian fellowship, the Christian life, is not complete. It is not a joyful Christianity until we are bringing others in and making sure others are in Christ and knowing and having that life, that abundant life that is held out for them. If we, as we read, we'll see that John is really fond of the word abide, to dwell, to abide, to be in Christ. And that's what he's describing fellowship there in a very real sense. He's describing the fellowship is, is living in him, it's being in him. If we're going to be in Christ, if we're going to have fellowship with Christ, we have fellowship with his body as well. And how can we be happy and joyful if we are in Christ, if his body is scared and hurting? And how can we look at others and say, look at what we have. Look at what we have in Christ, the life that he has given us, the fellowship that we have with God. But I'm not too concerned whether or not you have that fellowship either. Brothers and sisters, the the joy in the Christian life, a a huge part of it comes from us. It's completed as we make sure that others share in that fellowship, as we make sure that others see and know and savor Jesus Christ. And I couldn't help but think of this this week as as so many of our headlines revolved recently around Korea. I think one that got missed by probably 99.99% of people out there was a, a, an interview by Christianity Today. I didn't listen to the interview, but the title struck me. And I, and I read the little blurb about it. I didn't have time to read the, or listen to the whole thing. It simply said, South Koreans fear North Korea, but desire to see the gospel go there. So in the midst of, of all this that has happened with the, the tension between North and South Korea for the past you know, decades, 50, 60 years, the South Koreans, the Christians there, have a plan to plant 15,000 churches in North Korea. These Christians have come up with a plan. They desire their joy. I mean, why would they do this? Because it would bring them joy, I'm assuming, because they want to see others come to know Christ and be in him. And they know what's going on there. They live in fear of North Korea daily, Yet that fear is not enough to keep them. 
from wanting to see others know and savor Jesus Christ, that fellowship with him. Brothers and sisters, fellowship creates joy, a joy that the world cannot understand. I wonder where your fellowship lies. I wonder as we um, bond together and as, as we become members of this church and join and become one body, how do we relate to each other? How do we talk to each other? What is our conversation about? I wonder if it revolves around our hobbies, around socioeconomic issues. How do we see and think of fellowship? Brothers and sisters, if we see what God is doing in, in, in the world and his desire to see all nations and all people from all social, ethnic, and economic classes, everyone come to know and worship Jesus Christ, to be in him, to be forgiven of their sins, and to be made right before him. Brothers and sisters, we need to, we need to love that and crave it. We need to have fellowship in the gospel. It's amazing as we see people who are so different from us, yet they they relate to us because they know Christ. Have you ever had that experience where maybe you're in a foreign country or, or a different part of the country, or I mean foreign, foreign country, different area, you just happen to run across somebody. Maybe you see them reading their Bible or you open a conversation and they ask, are you a Christian? And all of a sudden you have a fellowship that is wonderful and glorious, don't you? I hope you've experienced that at some point in your life when you know that there are people who know Jesus it's something that breaks down all cultural barriers. It's something we should crave and love. So as we go out today, I wonder what are you going to talk about? Are you going to use, you know, we've been putting those two little spots in your bulletins for you to use as you're taking notes to write down two things that stood out to you. Is that an area where you can have fellowship with each other over the gospel of Jesus Christ, what God has revealed to you, what he said in his word? As we come to know Christ, as we come to know him, we come into fellowship with his people and with the Father. wonder, is your greatest joy, is your greatest desire to see others have that fellowship? Is your attitude something akin to what John has, where, where he says our joy may be complete when you have fellowship with the Father. Do you care so much about other people that seeing them know Jesus, seeing them have fellowship with him is the thing that drives you? Our world's a very interesting place, isn't it? We have a culture and a society that tells us to work hard and to take what we can get and that if we've earned it, we should enjoy it. If we stop and step back, how self-centered is that? John wants to see people know Christ. His greatest joy is in seeing others know Jesus. And we live in a culture that's interesting because we have one side where it will tell you, get everything you can, acquire, do, and if you've worked, it's yours. We have another side that so often we see, apart from Christ, they desire to be fulfilled by their work for others. Their service to others so often becomes a means of self-fulfillment. They're trying to, to somehow fill themselves and think highly of themselves rather than taking joy in what others might experience. Our culture talks about truisms, just do you, be true to yourself. But John isn't concerned with himself, is he? He's concerned with these Christians. He's concerned with somebody else. He's concerned that they are walking in the truth, that they are walking in the light and know Jesus Christ. And that John wants to see, see them believe, remember the message that he has proclaimed to them, the message that he experienced because he saw and touched and heard 
Jesus Christ, both before and after his resurrection, he knew he'd gotten up from the grave, and he said, this is the foundation of your faith. This is what you've believed. Do not desert it, but have confidence in it, because in that is fellowship, a fellowship that the world does not know. And in seeing you have that fellowship, it brings me great joy. So John goes on to tell these Christians that this is the framework for fellowship. He, he tells that in verses 5 through 10. He describes what it looks like. I'll just read those again real quick since it's been a while since we read the, the whole passage. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, John starts in verse 5. He tells us this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, building on what he has just spoken to them about what he's seen and heard, the, the um the message concerning the word of life, and that is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John bases the message on who God is, doesn't he? It's the very character nature of God. God is light. character of God is of utmost importance. What John is proclaiming is who God is. That's the foundation. That's what brings them assurance. That's what should bring them comfort. So I wonder today as you listen, as you hear, as you maybe come week after week, are you listening carefully? Do you listen to make sure that what is proclaimed is the word that God has revealed about himself? Do you hear and do you take this call seriously to be a good listener? As we preach week after week, we teach and lead you. I would ask you as your pastor, and I'm sure Nick would say the same thing, watch us as well. Make sure our message is the same thing that John has proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that Christ has come, that we might walk in the light because God is light. Make sure that we are always proclaiming who God is and what he has done through the life and death of Jesus. If we want to have Christian fellowship, if we want to have a true fellowship here, then then we have to be careful that we're teaching the truth, that we're calling others to come and drink of the well of the joy of our God and Creator. John reminds them of this message. And on the basis of this message that God is light, he has five statements that really help set the framework for fellowship. The framework being that God is light and him is no darkness at all. Then if you notice, each verse will begin or roughly begin with if. If, if, if. So we're going to walk through those really quickly. If we, if we say, right in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, here we come to the first conditional statement, right? We say we have fellowship with him, a.k.a. walk in the light, yet we walk in darkness. We lie, don't we? and we do not practice the truth. I mean, at one level, this is so blatantly obvious, right? We say we have fellowship with him. Okay, God is light, and we have fellowship with him. Therefore, that would mean we are walking in the light. There's no darkness in him. We say we have fellowship, and we walk in the darkness that can't actually be true. Brothers and sisters, it's important to think through what we say and making sure that we do 
have fellowship with him and that we are not walking in the darkness, that we do practice the truth. To do the truth is to walk in the light. It's kind of an odd phrase when I read that, to do, to practice the truth. Truth is usually something we think of as believed, isn't it? It's something that we, we know and can, and can understand and we can recite. It's something we learn in school. Yet here John uses it so much more dynamically. It's not just a mere confession. It's a confession that is lived out. John would have nothing of just merely saying words, but, but those words, that message that he's proclaimed must change and transform our life. It means we turn from sin and we walk in the light. We, we see that God is light. He is pure and holy. He is good and just. So we walk. We do that truth. We do the truth of who God is. We, we practice that. We live in that. We don't simply give it lip, lip service. We live as people who have been transformed and shaped by the gospel. Because if we say that we have fellowship with the one who is light... Yet we walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not actually, we do not actually know him. Secondly, if we walk is the next thing. So it'll kind of parallel if we say, if we walk, if we confess, if we walk. So verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we've been saying, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Do you experience that? How do we experience God? One of the very real ways we experience God is not off on our own, but here as we have the body of Christ around us, caring for us, loving us, encouraging us in the faith. Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons to be here on Sunday morning is not just so that you can be edified, so that you can encourage others, so that you can share what God is doing in your life, so that you can serve and love and just, just hear what's going on in other people's lives, so you can pray for these people. Do you, do you pray for each other? I wonder, do you? That's one of the great things about having a membership directory you can go through and just pray for one, two, three, four, five, however many you want every day and pray for your fellow members of Timberline Baptist Church. We walk in the light as he is in light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is that we have not all obeyed God as we, ha- as we ought to have, have we? Isn't that the message that John reveals is that the word became flesh to do what we could not to, to gain salvation, the salvation that we could not to, to make us reconciled to God, to take apart God's wrath, to take it upon himself, that we would not have to face that? First John is actually, as we talk about propitiation, is that is a theme that Nick has has kind of one to teach you guys, an important one, is one that we will see in this book. It's actually one of the books where it's most clear he actually uses the term propitiation. And propitiation simply means absorbing God's wrath. Jesus does that on our behalf. And if we walk in the light, if we turn from our sins, he, is, he will cleanse us, he will forgive us. Brothers and sisters, it means turning from our sins, turning to Jesus in faith, believing the message and allowing it to transform and shape our lives. The message that Jesus lived that perfect sinless life, that he's atoned, and that he got up from the grave. He's now at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. I wonder if you're here today and you have not turned to him, if you don't believe this message about him, I would urge you, please, please do, please believe this message. There's no other means of being made right with God. If you want to no longer walk in darkness, you must turn from the darkness to walk in the light. And that means believing the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. If we want to have fellowship with God, if we want to know him, then we must turn. The world will constantly tell us that we can do many things to know God. We can 
you know, meditate, we can do good works, we can do all these things and, and give us these ways of knowing God, but, but the Bible says the way to know God, the way to have fellowship with him is through his son, Jesus Christ, and we must come to him and believe something about him. And that's the foundation, and the, we see that framework is that if we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins so we can be assured and live in the light. And that leads us to verse 8, which is one of the most profound, the strongest statements. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, it's, it's stepped up. It says if we, if we walk in the light, he will cleanse us of our sins. But if we say we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. We don't even know ourselves. We are lost. We have lied to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We must be faithful to understand that we have sinned and come to God for forgiveness. And as we go on, verse 9, if we, once more, if we confess our sins. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we don't lie to ourselves, if we don't deceive ourselves, but if we actually confess our sins, if we, if we acknowledge that not only the two points of reference on the map isn't just the mountain, but we need something else. We need to know who God is and the, the fact of who Jesus is, but also who we are. Because you see, if we don't have a right understanding of who we are, then we won't understand what we need Jesus for. Jesus came and died on our behalf. He took away God's wrath. But if I haven't sinned, why would I have God's wrath? And that's what the world wants us to hear, isn't it? They want to tell you that you are fine, that you are good enough, that God is, is okay. He's going to just, you know, yeah, there's some small things here or there, maybe some little white sins, but, but you're not that bad. You don't deserve God's wrath, his judgment, his punishment. And frankly, that's so easy to believe, isn't it? Because we think highly of ourselves, don't we? We think we are worthy of God's love. But brothers and sisters, the, the point that John wants to make is that we should not deceive ourselves, but we should be honest. We should confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here is where James is helpful too because he comes in in chapter 5, the book of James, reminds us to confess to one another. Brothers and sisters, let us not be liars, but let us live in the light. Let us walk in the light. Let us be open and honest. What kind of culture do we want at this church? How do we want to be described? Do we want to be known by the world as the church that is self-righteous, who doesn't acknowledge that we sin and make mistakes? Or do we want to be a church that is known for confessing our sins, for saying, look, I am a sinner and I am in need of God's grace and mercy and love? So many churches for so long have been known by the, the other, the, the self-righteousness, the not confessing their sins. They've been known by being self-righteous and hypocritical, and so much the world brings against the church is, is they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And why is that? Because they're afraid to confess. We need to be a place known for confessing our sins. But this isn't easy, is it? It's not an easy thing to be a, a culture, a, a place of confession, is it? What John tells us here is something hard to believe. You see, we believe that confession is the enemy of fellowship. We believe that confession will destroy fellowship, don't we? We believe that if we are open and honest about our sins, if people know that we, we crave things other than God, if we, if we think so highly of ourselves as we really do, of all of our sins, that they will recoil and they'll be repulsed and they'll want to run and they will want to judge us. And we're afraid. And so we walk in the darkness. We lie. We do not confess. We are not open. We are not honest. Brothers and sisters, John tells us that confession is the means of fellowship. To walk in the light means to be open and honest about who we are and who God is. That we have sinned and are sinners and that God's grace is sufficient well, what does this look like, though? What does it mean to be a culture of confession? 
as I thought about this and as I thought about, you know, what that, you guys might hear those words and, and it might be foreign to you because you might not have thought about being a culture of confession or having a culture of confession in the church. It doesn't mean that we're going to set a mic up front and have everybody line up every Sunday and come through and tell, you know, everything they've done wrong. Um, it doesn't mean that. It means many different things. It means it's part of our culture. It's part of the, the sort of very fra- fabric of our lives. You know, maybe during one of the testimony times, someone confesses, says, you know, I've been struggling with this sin, but God is gracious and merciful, and he's given me victory. And as the pastors have walked me through this, or as my friends have walked me through it, we are putting this to death. Maybe it means in your table group, you take time, and you just say, hey guys, I'm really struggling here. I'm hurting. I, I have fallen in this sin. I have, I've I'm tempted by this. I want to be open. I want to be honest about where I am. Maybe it means as you get together to read the word with friends and other people around you from this church that that you are open and honest and say, you know what? Please pray for me. Please pray for me. This This is where I am. We need people in our lives asking us questions, don't we? We need people in our lives asking us questions about our marriage and our money and our time, finding the idols of our hearts. And if I was you about that point, I'd probably start squirming in my seat a little bit because that is not something that is normally something that we would look for, that we would want. Frankly, it, it, the flesh reels to have people asking those hard questions, doesn't it? But if we want to walk in the light, we need to know ourselves and we need to have people with us loving Christ with us, fighting the flesh. And as our society stops to honor fathers today, I want to challenge our fathers. If you're here today and you're a father, do you model confession to your family? For so long, our culture's made the stereotype of fathers who are strong and don't really mess up, and they're the ones that will always be there. And some of that is true, but they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And frankly, this is an area that that is hard. It's difficult. Do I confess my sin to my wife? Do I confess my sin to my children? I've had to come to Caleb at times and be like, Caleb, look, you know, what you did was wrong, but the way that I reacted was not godly. It wasn't good. Will you forgive me? And unfortunately, as he gets older, that's probably going to be more often. Um, but it's hard. It's difficult because we become open and exposed. But that is where true fellowship lies. We fear confession because we think it destroys fellowship. And this couldn't be farther from the truth. And one thing I want to just stop right now and pause and just uh, to kind of give a blurb is, actually, where did I put it? Out, out in the hall, we will give you guys, um, well, we have out there books and things that we reference or give to you, or, sorry, excuse me, I, let's go back like five seconds and I'll say this correctly. Um, so we have resources out there in the hall, um, books that we recommend a $5 donation for, which we think would be edifying and encouraging for different stages in life. We have some for children's, for marriage, for apologetics, for the Christian life, all sorts of times and things, um, just to get those into your hands so you can read them, be encouraged, and growing in the faith. We also have um, a magazine out there called Table Talk. And as I was preparing this message, I was talking with Krista, our admin, about it. And then she left and was apparently reading it um, because she was like, hey, you know what we just talked about? That's right in there. Disciples confess their sins. So there's an article in the June edition. There's June and July out there, but um, I think there's only a few left. Go grab it. If you want another copy, we will get you a copy. Um, This is a great resource to be discipling, and especially as we talk about a church of disciples who make disciples the whole article is on discipleship. And we'll see that part of discipleship is confessing our sins is what he's arguing in that short article. Um, just going straight to this passage, actually, and saying to confess is part of being a disciple. And he makes a great statement that to confess, and he actually goes and looks at the word, is to really agree with God's diagnosis of who we are. That's exactly what I'm trying to say here today. So, 
So take it, and if you can't get one because they're gone before you get there, let me know, and we'll find a way to get you more. We'll make copies. I don't care. It's a valuable resource. I um, want you guys to have it, so please, please take advantage of that. To walk in the light is to confess. Therefore, our church, our lives, need to be characterized by this, by confession, by saying, I am a sinner and I need God's grace. And God is good and gracious and we can confess to, to all those things about who God is and what he has done and the salvation we have in him. But until we acknowledge that we all fall short of his glory, we cannot truly have fellowship. We cannot truly believe the message. And that means as a church, we need to be prepared for people to tell us tell us about their sins, tell us about how they're struggling and where they are in life and just be open and honest. And sometimes that might feel a little awkward, a little strange because we're not used to it. But brothers and sisters, remember that we have all fallen short of God's glory and that this is a time to come by and to graciously help them to fight that sin, to struggle with them, to pray for them, to encourage them and to be there for them. And finally, John concludes, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, this is a warning. If we say we have not sinned, if we do not confess our sins, if we deny them, if we, if we try to hide them, oh, not only are we a liar, but we make God out to be a liar because he has told us that we all have fallen short of that glory, of his law, of his word. It means that we have not truly believed the message, that we do not know who God is, and we haven't believed about who Jesus truly is. Brothers and sisters, let us be a people who confesses, a people who are faithful to be open and honest about who we are and to look to God who is light, that we might walk in the light, that our sins might be exposed, that we might turn from them, that he might cleanse us from all our sins and all our unrighteousness because he is faithful and just. Our hope is in being open and honest. Our hope is in confessing our sins. Our hope is in that if we do that, we can know that he will forgive us. So I wonder, are you, are you troubled? Are you concerned? Are you looking? Do you, do you understand where the foundation of your faith is? The foundation of your, your fellowship with God lies not in yourself. It lies in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And to know that we, we confess that we have sinned and that he cleanses us. Brothers and sisters, our foundation where we build our lives, the foundation for this fellowship, for this church, is Jesus Christ, our King, isn't it? In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song, The Church is One Foundation, and we're going to proclaim that truth, that Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, the one who absorbed God's wrath, is where our faith lies, and because of that, we can walk in the light. We can be open and honest about who we are. And we can come alongside each other and have a true fellowship with both God and with each other. Brothers and sisters, let us develop a culture where that is how we are known and how we live our lives. If you'd pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who loves us who has sent your son, Jesus, to die for us and has covered all of our sins if we just simply confess and turn to you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us all to walk in the light, to confess our sins, that we might be forgiven and cleansed by the work of Christ. In his name, amen.